You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. As Mike said, my name is Greg Brandenburg. It's good to be here. We love this church, my wife and I, Myra, and... uh, I, I recently changed jobs, um, so I'm, we live here on the weekend now. We, uh, I am working now at, at Mary Harden Baylor. Go crew! Yes! Yes! And away! I, did, I, I got nothing in the first service. So. That's I know, that's what I'm saying. Go crew! All right. I don't know if you know about, if you know the history of Mary Harden Baylor, uh, it's in Belton, Texas, midway between um, Waco and Austin. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor is celebrating its 175th year in operation. It's the oldest continuously operating university in Texas. It used to be, it used to be the uh, Baylor Women's College. And at some point in history, they, they split it off. And uh, so it's a campus of about 3,000 students, Division III school, powerful football team. It's a beautiful campus. You should, you should come check it out. So uh, it's been... It's been cool to be there. It's been cool to be a member of the crew. Anybody from Baylor here? Yeah, some, some Baylor Bears are here. I don't know if you knew the connection with Mary Harden Baylor, but we, we uh, used to be the same. And uh, then you kicked the women out. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a bit of trivia for you. This, this is a bit of a dig at the Baylor Bears. Judge Baylor is buried at our place. <laughs> yeah, we've got Judge Baylor. So, so there. You got, you got a statue of Judge Baylor? Yeah, we've got his bones, man. <laughs> cool. Come on out sometime. You can, you can see the camp. It is very, very pretty camp. It's been, it's been great to be there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so good, obviously, connection to Baylor. Mary Harden Baylor's a Baptist school. So, uh, so now that I'm a Baptist, I'll end with an altar call because uh, that's part of, the, uh, part of the contract. So, all right. Let's, uh, let's get into it this morning. I'll start with a, um, a little bit about myself. My, my wife and I moved here from Arizona. When I was in Arizona, I was in full-time ministry, got to pastor a church. When I was pastoring a small church out on the outskirts of uh, Phoenix, uh, I had the great privilege of doing prison ministry. I would go once a week into the uh, prison there um, in, what was the name of the town? Florence, big, big prison town there in Arizona, and I would uh, travel in. And I remember, I remember um, the first time I went, I had prepared a sermon. I was going to talk to the prisoners about grace. I felt like the fundamentals would be good to start with, to talk to them about how uh, uh, God's grace through Jesus Christ is for them. No one uh, is too bad to be saved. And um, I was all prepared to do it. Showed up there at the prison com- uh, complex uh, and, and didn't really know where to go. It's a a lot of buildings, and they all kind of look the same. So I just picked a building and decided I'll just go into this one. So got out of the car, started walking into the front of the prison. I noticed there were some, some prisoners there kind of working on the garden in front of the building. And you can tell they're prisoners because of the way they're dressed, right? So there's a tip for you. They, uh, they dif- differently dress uh, than you and I. So uh, got out, uh, got in the prison, uh, Jeff can confirm this. If I say anything wrong, Jeff, let me know, okay? So, I'm good? Okay. 
he's sticking around for the next one. So I, I'm thinking, is he fact-checking me or what, what's going on here? So yeah, so he, so he lives this. Um, but as I'm walking in, I notice these prisoners tending the garden in front of the building, and I think, well, I'll, I'll greet them in the customary way. And so I said, as they kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? Uh, I said, how's it going, right? And um, in retrospect, that was probably not a good question. <laughs> it's one of those questions where you go, I probably know the answer to that. These guys are in prison, right? So <laughs> they get their hour out so they can go pull weeds, and then they're right back in. Uh, walk in, and, 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 you know, when you walk into a prison, it's not like there's a reception area where there's, you know, a, an administrative person there to greet you and to give you baked cookies. You walk in, concrete floors, iron gates all around, and the person you're going to talk to is behind glass, really, really thick glass, right? And they're going to talk to you uh, through the speaker. So uh, I said, I'm here to do uh, prison ministry. Or they said, well, you're not, you're not doing prison ministry in this building. This is the special maintenance unit. This is the SMU. Any SMU people here? This, was <laughs> this is the SMU, which meant special maintenance unit. This, this particular unit is maximum security for the baddest of the bad. We don't let these guys out of their cell. Okay? They, they may get out briefly for a period of time, but, but they don't get along with anybody. We feed them through you know, the slot under the door kind of thing. This is the special maintenance unit. You're not doing prison ministry here because we're not letting them out. So I said, okay. Backed out, went, finally found my building, got ushered into the, uh, to the, to the mess hall, to the dining area in prison. Once again, going into prison is kind of intimidating with all the, you've got to go through metal gates and they're clanging behind you. And, and once you get in, they usher you into the, um, to the dining area and it's concrete floors stainless steel tables everything is bolted down for really good reasons okay so there's there's nothing can be weaponized uh so uh so i began to to preach and to to tell these men as they ushered them in and there were a lot of them they pretty much filled up the the lunchroom uh, and uh and i realized well part of that is because they really wanted to come to bible study but a lot of them just wanted to get out of their cells so it was something to do so they came I talked to them about God's grace through Jesus Christ. And then there was a time in the end for questions. I remember one of them said, a preacher, he said, I'm not sure I'm buying what you're telling me. And I said to him, well, I'm not selling it. This, this is, which you probably shouldn't smart off to a prisoner like that, but it wasn't smarting off. It just, I felt like I needed to tell him, this isn't for, you don't have to buy this. This is grace given to you freely. It doesn't matter what you've done. He had a hard time with that. And he said to me, he said, but you don't know what I've done. And I thought, I probably don't want to know what you've done. But, but the reality is God's grace is free and abundant. But, I, but I, it begs the question, is, is, there, is there a limit? Is there something, is there a sin that can go beyond God's grace. You don't know, is it possible to fall so far that you are beyond saving? A lot, a lot of these people in prison, they, they don't know unconditional love. Everything is transactional love to them. They've never experienced that kind of thing. And they're, we call them hardened criminals for a reason. And I, and I wonder, is it possible to be hardened to such an extent that you are beyond God's saving you. And that's the question that we're going to examine today as we look at our passage in Romans chapter 11. So if you'll turn there with me, 
Romans chapter 11, because Paul asks that question right up front, and we'll see it in Romans 11 verse 1. The question is, did God reject His people? And the answer is, by no means. Which leads us to our, to our main idea, which is this, that God, by His grace, can select anyone for His own, so no one, no one is beyond saving. Let's read it together, but before, before we read it, I want you to keep in mind, it's, it's, it's a bit complicated, and, uh, and I think if you know the groups that Paul's talking about, it'll help you to understand the passage. So there's three, there's three main groups, as Paul reads this, that we need to know about. Number one, there's, there's national Israel, Israel as a whole, those who are uh, of Abraham's seed, those who can trace their descendancy to the 12 tribes of Israel. They are, they are national Israel. Uh, that is one group that Paul is dealing with. <clears throat> There's another group that he calls the remnant. Okay? He'll talk about the remnant. And, and as Paul is writing this, the remnant are the, nas- the people of national Israel who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have refuted salvation by works, and they've accepted salvation by grace. So those are Jews who are saved. We would call them in, in our day Messianic Jews. Okay? That, that is what Paul is going to call the remnant. And then there's a third group that is the Gentiles. Okay? That's you and I, those who didn't grow up Jewish, we're non-Jews. We don't trace our descendancy back to any of the tribes, anything like that. Uh, those are the Gentiles. Three groups, right? National Israel, believing Israel, or the remnant and, and the Gentiles. So keep that in mind as we read it. Okay, let's read all 24 verses together and then we'll break it down. Um, verse 1, I asked then, did God reject His people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham. He's talking about national Israel now. Paul is of national Israel. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject His people whom He foreknew. Don't you know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah how he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. In the Old Testament, there there was a foreshadowing of this remnant, and Paul is saying now, today, there is a remnant those are those of national Israel who have believed in Jesus Christ. Chosen by grace, verse 6, and if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then, what Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. As it was written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so they could not see, and ears so they could not hear, To this very day, national Israel hardened, the remnant saved. And as David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Verse 11, again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel, national Israel, envious. 
But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. You stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily were these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? Long passage, pretty complex, but let me ask you to do this with me. Let's pray right now for clarity as we appeal to God and learn more about Him from these passages. Thank you, Father, that you are an eternal God, that you are a faithful God, and, and that great is thy faithfulness, as we sang earlier. And, uh, and we, we so thank you for your words. We thank you for the mission that was Israel. We thank you for the opportunity now as Gentiles to be grafted in and to experience uh, your mission through us, the church. And, uh, and we look forward to the future when, when the fullness of Israel will come in. And we pray for that day. We thank you that, that your salvation is by grace, not by works. Help us to understand these complex things and help us to live by them as we look at what this means for our lives. We pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's dig in. Chapter 11, verse 1 is back to the diatribe style. You remember the name of the person Eric talks about that Paul keeps using this diatribe, this, this conversation he's having with a, with a, with a Jew. Uh, Eric has termed him Murray. So Paul picks up the, uh, the conversations with Murray. They continue in chapter 11. Paul says, uh, I asked then, did God reject his people? Uh, and so we've got to stop right there because what in the world would provoke that kind of question? That's pretty serious. Did God, re what in the world has happened that would cause Paul to ask that kind of question? If you were a Jew at the time listening, you would go, oh my goodness, why would you even ask that kind of question? Psalms 94 states, for the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. So it raises the question, what has gone wrong? So, so let's review. 
Uh, Romans 11 starts right after Romans 10. So the previous verses, 19, 20, 21, let's take a look at those. This is where Paul left off. He says, again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So clearly, based on that and what Paul is asking here, did God reject his people? We can at least summarize that something has gone dreadfully wrong with God's plan with his covenant people of Israel. So let's, so let's review that for a moment so we understand what was supposed to happen and what has gone wrong. goes back to Abraham, right? The, the Jews trace descendancy from Abraham. Uh, this is Father Abraham. Um, and, and in Abraham, if, you'll flip, if you want to flip to Genesis chapter 12, this is, this is the covenant that God makes with Abraham that is so critical to understanding not not just the New Testament in passages like this, but you really can't understand Old Testament or Old Testament prophecy unless you understand the covenants that God made with Israel. This is the key one. This is the root covenant that God makes with Israel, that is to Abraham. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It was God's intention to use Abraham and the nation that would come from him, not just to bless that nation, but it was God's intention to bless the entire world. So God's covenant people coming from Abraham were supposed to be a blessing to the entire world. Um, Romans 9, if we flip, if, if you're still in Romans uh, 11, flip back to Romans 9, verses 3 through 5. Something has gone wrong, clearly. Paul explains it. This is back in Romans 9. He says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons, there's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is even traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. This was the covenant that God made through Abraham, which would issue blessing to the entire world, even the Christ, the Messiah. And yet something goes wrong. Now, uh, cast forward from Abraham for 500 years. Uh, Abraham doesn't get to see the fulfillment of his promise. He doesn't get to see his descendants become a nation. They become a nation in captivity to Egypt for 400 years. And then Moses leads them out. And, and at that point, when Moses gets to the mountain, God gives him the law. Moses presents the law to the people. And the people agree and say, everything you have said, we will do. This is, this is the Mosaic Covenant. This is the people making a covenant with God when they become officially the nation Israel. They said, everything you do or everything you say, we will do. 
And, and, and there's, there's more to that story as God goes on to continue to say, okay, but here's the deal. There's blessings and cursings in this one. He said, uh, you, get, you get to be Israel, but now the nation of Israel, if you will do what I say, if you will, if you will maintain obedience and faithfulness to me, I will bless you. And you'll have all the blessings. It, you will have a land. Uh, all your enemies will be taken out. Uh, your crops will produce your people will produce, uh, and it'll all be good for you if you'll just obey me. That is the blessings of Mosaic Covenant. But if you disobey me, if you disobey me, it's going to be bad. You're going to fall under the cursings of the Mosaic Covenant. Your, cur- your crops will be cursed. Your, your, your people won't produce. You'll be taken out of the land by foreign captors. And we even get hints here from what Paul is saying and from, from the Old Testament that it could get so bad that God's plan for you is going to be set aside and He's going to use a foreign nation to, to uh, dispense His blessings to the entire world. And then we'll get to see how Paul explains that here in a little bit, but hold that thought. So that's Moses. So you've got Abrahamic covenant, which exists all throughout this. You've got Mosaic covenant, which is the blessings and cursings that are added. By, by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, you would hope, right, that, that Israel got it and that they were all obedient to God, and, and, but it wasn't that way. So, so when Jesus comes on the scene, even before Jesus, John the Baptist comes on the scene, and, and he has a very simple sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is preaching to the Jews. He is preaching to national Israel. And he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repent doesn't mean you're doing bad things, start doing good things. Repent means change the mind. That's the Greek. It's metanoeo. It's, it's, it Greek means change your mind. What, were they, what did the Jews, national Israel, needed? what did they need to change their mind about? It is that they were attempting to achieve righteousness by works. John the Baptist came and said, you need to repent from that because it's not by works. It's by God's grace. You need to accept Christ, the coming Messiah, because this is by grace. Now, Jesus comes on and preaches the same sermon, and his initial ministry, you look at the Gospels, Christ's initial ministry is exclusively to Israel, to national Israel. And his message is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what's going to happen if they don't? We're going to get to see, because the unfortunate reality is national Israel does not repent. Uh, so God's judgment is on Israel, and, and this judgment on national Israel is a bypassing. Again, God's intention was to use Abraham and his seed to bring blessings to the entire world, but it didn't work out because of Israel's unfaithfulness. So God eventually, even though he's very patient, all throughout the Old Testament, God continues to reach out to them, send prophets, uh, all these things, and then, and then eventually sends, him, sends his own son to reach out to them, If they accept his son, we would experience salvation in a very different manner at this point, although it would still be by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, We'd all be eating matzo ball soup, probably, uh, and would have to enjoy that kind of food. But they reject reject the Messiah, and so that, that does it. So God is going to set them aside to deliver the blessings to the world through a different people, that is, the Gentiles, you and I. Now, that's supposed to provoke Israel to strong jealousy, to go, wait a minute, that was our job, okay? 
So, so that is Israel's failure to, to respond. God's judgment on Israel bypasses them and brings the blessings of the covenant to the Gentiles. Romans 9, 6 gives us this little seed that Paul puts in there back in 9. He says, it is not as though God's word had failed. It's not about God's word failing. It's about God's people being unfaithful. It's not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. It has always been by faith. And God will be good to his promises. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about this by, by creating a remnant. We'll see it here in a second. Chapter 10, Israel's failure to respond. Paul encodes, and, and, and you, can see it strong, excuse me, you can see it strongly in 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, as he appeals to brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer for God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. You can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. Uh, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The reality is it doesn't matter how good of a life you live. That doesn't earn you your salvation. That, that's a hang-up for a lot of people. Uh, but, but Paul clearly states it's not about zeal. Uh, it, it's about belief in, in the Messiah, in God's grace. So, so it leads us back to that question, has God rejected Israel? Something clearly in 11.1 1 is clearly wrong with God's covenant people, and it leads one to ask the question, then has God rejected Israel? And the answer is, may it never be. Even the question itself, in Greek, the answer is implied in the question. It probably should be translated, God has not rejected Israel, has he? And, and it's, it's stated with a shaking head. I, uh, I sometimes when I eat um, at a restaurant with my wife, I'll see when, you know, kind of observe when she's slowing down with her meal. And I'll ask her the question, you're not going to finish that, are you? Right? So, the answer is implied in the question. That's what's being asked here. God is not rejecting Israel, is he? And so Paul goes on to explain uh, with five evidences that he has not, that God has not rejected Israel. So, so track with me uh, through the rest of this passage. We'll break it down. There's five things that he's going to state that are reasons why he, he is giving evidence that God has not rejected Israel. After we get through these five then there'll be some personal application I'll make. Uh, but let's start in 11.1. I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means, Paul says, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. What's he saying? I am nationalist. Remember the three groups, national Israel, remnant Gentiles. Paul's saying, I'm, I am of national Israel. I can track my descendancy uh, through the tribe of Benjamin. We know Paul's lineage, right? We know his his. He is a Jew among Jews. Um, he was educated by Gamaliel, very strong Jew in his time. He's saying, I am a Jew. And so one evidence that God has not done with national Israel is, look at me. I am of national Israel. You can't be much more national Israel than me. And, and I am one of the remnant. I have accepted Christ as Messiah and, and did Paul come to that conclusion by logic? Did Paul come to that conclusion by studying the Scriptures? No, it was God's grace hitting him on the road, blinding him, 
and picking him out of unbelief. It was God, not Paul. It was God's grace on Paul that caused Paul to be a believer. So Paul is saying, first evidence that God is not through with national Israel, I am of national Israel. And I am of the remnant. I am a believer. Uh, so, so he says, I am proof that a Jew can be saved. Second evidence that God is not done with Israel. Romans 11.2 God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Okay, and then, and then that again, as, as Eric has uh, explained many times, uh, is, is not about a peering into the future like a crystal ball kind of a thing. That is God in his sovereignty establishing a relationship and a plan before even time began. Uh, so God in his foreknowledge knew these people, and, and that's very strong, and we know that God will not cast off those whom he has purposed to love and those whom he has purposed to have a relationship with. So God knew Israel based on foreknowledge. This is before time began. He chose to do it this way. And God will not, his plan will not fail. Now that's good news for you, even though we're Gentiles, right? That's still good news for us because the God who foreknew Israel, the Bible tells us that he foreknew us in a similar fashion. Before you and I were even born, God looked and foreknew us. He chose before the, before the beginning of time to have a relationship with us. Paul explains that to the Ephesian church. Uh, you don't have to turn there. Chapter 1, 3 through 6 of Ephesians says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us uh, in the one he loves. Good news, right? Good news for the Jews, good news for the Gentiles. God foreknew us, and God will not reject a people whom he foreknows. His plan will not be thwarted. So, third reason that God is not through with national Israel. By His grace, God keeps a remnant. We talked about the remnant earlier. God keeps a remnant so His promise will be fulfilled. His promise will not be nullified by the unfaithfulness of man. God has a remnant of people who are faithful at all times. Uh, Paul speaks about this in, in verses 2 through 6 of Romans 11. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He's talking to Elijah to say, you're not alone. Look, I'm God. I've got this thing under control. I got 7,000 more. Uh, who have been chosen by grace. He says, so too, verse 5, at this present time, there is a remnant, Paul says, chosen by grace. He said, I'm, I'm not alone as a believer, a national Israel, but a believer. And there are others. There is a remnant that have been chosen by grace who have accepted Jesus Christ. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. You could, I guess you can think of the remnant like... Uh, 
Uh, it, it, is, it is those who have accepted Christ as their Messiah. I know we've, we have election season coming up. You think of the past election uh, where, where the current president, President Trump, was chosen to be our national leader, right? Now, does that mean that all of us chose him? No, clearly not. There are, there are people who did not choose him, and yet he is their national leader. Think of it, uh, think of it in a similar fashion. Christ came to the kingdom of Israel to be their king. And the majority of Israel voted against him. They rejected him. But that doesn't mean that all of Israel did. There is a remnant who accepted him as their king, as their Messiah. So that's what's going on here. So two observations about the remnant. Number one, Paul makes it very clear that it's not about works. God doesn't look into the future to see who's good, who's not, and chooses based on that. This remnant is chosen by God. He has reserved them based on His grace, and for Himself. Okay? So it's very important to understand. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Israel. God is doing this for Himself because this is His plan. And they are chosen by grace, not works. Again, uh, that's important because uh, understand, He doesn't... Uh, sometimes we understand foreknowledge as God, God looked in the future, He saw what I would do, and then responded based on whether I made good choices or not. That defies grace. That's not grace. Okay? That's works. But Paul makes it very clear here that, that the remnant are those who are chosen by grace, not works. So that's uh, evidence three. Evidence four, they, national Israel, were hardened by persistent unbelief. Uh, and through that, God is not thwarted. God is not tripped up by that. God is going to use that to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Uh, Romans eleven seven through 10. What then, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, and ears that could not hear, to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them, May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. What they sought so zealously, according to what Paul said in, in chapter 10, they're zealous, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. What is, what is the theme of Romans? It is, it is the righteousness of God given freely to man in the person of Jesus Christ. So what's going on here? Through their persistent unbelief, God hardens them. Now, that doesn't seem fair or right sometimes when we read it that way. So let me understand it. Let me help you understand it this way. That, that hardening comes from the Greek word porosis. I guess we get the word osteoporosis from that. And, and it, is a, it is a callus. It is something that builds up that makes one hard or resistant to the gospel or to the call of God. It says that they, they were hardened as it, were writ, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Um, so that verse 8 is an illustration of, of hardening, this spirit of stupor. It weaves together two Old Testament passages, one from Deuteronomy and one from Isaiah. Deuteronomy emphasizes the eyes, and, and the Isaiah passage emphasizes the ears. In other words, this hardening, this spirit of stupor, is that they were given plenty of evidence through visual uh, means that there is a God, but they continued to reject that. That Deuteronomy passage comes to us from the time of Moses. Well, what did Moses do? He led the people out of captivity 
to Egypt into the, into the wilderness where God's uh, presence was evident every day and every night. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. So of all things, you would think that the people who are wandering around the wilderness would believe in God. He's providing all these visual evidences of his existence directly to them, directly in front of them, manna, all, all kinds of things. And yet, even that people wandering to the wilderness rebel and revolt against their God. Calloused heart. Um, and then... And then the Isaiah passage emphasizes the ears. Isaiah was a prophet. God was so patient with the people of Israel. Um, and and often, all, all kinds of times, in all kinds of ways, God is providing prophets for them, being very patient. And as he would provide these prophets for him, they would reject God's words through the prophets. So, so what they're hearing is rejected. So Paul says this spirit of stupor is, is visual and audio. They have rejected God. And, and so they have been hardened. Uh, the idea of stupor uh, seems to indicate a dullness caused by too much sensation. You may know people like this who, who have been hardened in their unbelief. Uh, at one time, they may have been close to God, but through continual rejection of God's Holy Spirit in their life, their heart seems to grow harder. I know this. I, I uh, anybody go? I know. I know we have a Mary Harden Baylor Crusader there. You, if you went to, if you went to Mary Harden Baylor, you had to go to chapel to graduate, and and you have to take religion class to graduate. Something happens. Something happens to the Bible when it becomes compulsory. When it becomes obligatory, right? I I have to take the Bible. I have to go to chapel, and so you begin to punch the clock. And uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it because. I work at Mariana Baylor. Chapel attendance is, is required. But uh, honestly, when I go to chapel and I look, I see the, the front rows of people participating, but I see the back rows of people on their phone. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, of interaction or engagement from people. So when you've been around this a bunch, when you've been around a, 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 a Christian environment a lot, pretty soon you take it for granted and your heart becomes hardened. And so, so that seems to be the, the case here. This is Israel. These people, are, they've, they've thought, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm Israel. Uh, Abraham is my father. I, I'm born. You, you've probably heard people say, oh, uh, my mother and father were saved. I'm saved. Right? I, was, I was born into a Christian family. Uh, I grew up in church, those kind of things. Uh, none of that matters. It is about what have you believed about God's Son, Jesus Christ. And have you accepted that His way is the only way? So this spirit of stupor is upon them, and they are dulled by this incitement into apathy. Uh, and so this is a judicial punishment for failure to use what God has provided for them to use to respond to Him. They fail to use their eyes, they fail to use their ears, so they come under this judicial punishment, which is this stupor that is upon them, and, uh, and so we see that um, in, in other people around us as well. Uh, so he uses that illustration. His second illustration is a quote from Psalms talking about the table. David says, verse 9, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. He's talking about the fact that these folks have taken for granted the blessings of Abrahamic covenant and... and uh, what 
Paul quotes here is that, that passage that says, may this become a snare for them. The fact that they have, have taken this for granted and assumed that they're in just because uh, they're Jews. May that become a snare. Uh, so fifth reason uh, that Israel um, is not rejected is that there is indication in 11 through 24 that, that though they have been set, a time, set aside for a time, their rejection is not final and that God is appealing to them by the Gentiles. Uh, verse 11 24 through 24 again. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will, will their full inclusion bring? So their fall we learned earlier, is not total. It wasn't all Israel. There was a remnant, and their fall is not final. There is an opportunity for national Israel to be restored, uh, which Paul teaches about. He talks about this idea of a full inclusion. Um, at the end of 12, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? That is, that is the restoration of national Israel. Not that every Jew will be saved, Remember again, Romans 9, 6, not every Jew uh, is one out, who is one outwardly is one by faith, uh, Romans 9, 6. There will be a day, though, that Paul talks about when national Israel will unite behind Jesus Christ as their king. That is the fullness. That is the restoration of national Israel, when they unite behind Jesus as their king. So uh, the, the nation of Israel currently, as we look at it, is, is nowhere near this uniting behind Jesus Christ as their king. Um, the, the nation of Israel today are the broken branches. But there will be a day coming, uh, Paul tells us, when they will be united, when the fullness of Israel will come in. And what will it look like on that day? As written about in Isaiah in chapter 59. He says, the Redeemer will come to Zion. This is when the Messiah comes back and Israel accepts him as their king, the, the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is in you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forevermore, says the Lord. And so Paul teaches us about the rejection of Israel. Then in verse 13 in, in, in Romans 11, he's going to start talking to the Gentiles. He says, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Again, Paul, God's plan here is to use the Gentiles to provoke Israel to look and go, wait a minute, that was our job. Uh, in the hope that I may somehow arouse my people and be able to save some of them, verse 15, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. We, as Gentiles, get in the analogy of this olive tree, get to be grafted in. The olive tree is national Israel. 
uh, uh, the root of the tree and the nourishment of the tree is Abraham covenant, um, which culminates in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so national Israel, and, the, and then there are branches broken off. That is those of national Israel who did not accept Jesus as Messiah. Those branches are broken off. And through that, we, the Gentiles, get grafted in. All the wild shoots get grafted into the natural olive tree through faith in Jesus Christ and get to enjoy, enjoy the nourishment and the blessings uh, of that Abrahamic covenant. Do not, but do not consider yourself to be superior to the other branches. You Gentiles don't consider yourself superior. It's not like you figured it out. You're saved by grace, just like anybody else. Uh, you didn't deserve it. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off, not so that you could be grafted in, but because of national Israel's unbelief, persistent unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. It's just as easy for God to say, I'm going to use the church right now to bring blessings to the world, but if the church is going to fail... I'm going to cut them off too. We saw that in Revelations, right? The church in Laodicea. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. So I'll cut you off too. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they, here's the good news for Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted back in. For God is able to graft them in again. Verse 24, After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted in, how much more readily would these, the natural branches, national Israel, be grafted back into their own olive tree if they would but believe, I would add. And so there's the five evidences of what Paul says is, is uh, the fact that God is not done with Israel and will not reject Israel. So let me, so let me uh, conclude with some, some application points for you and I as we think through this. It's complicated, but I think there's some really good uh, points that we need to, to understand here. First one is this, um, that God by His grace can select anyone for His own, so therefore no one is beyond saving. Consider the implications of that. If God by His grace can select anyone for His own, no one is beyond saving, then you and I should at the very least be praying for the most hardened people that we know. You may have some people in your family that you consider beyond saving. These are people that have hardened, they are militantly anti-Christ. And I'm here to tell you by the truth that is in God's word, they are not beyond saving. And so who are you praying for? that God would work in their lives through their Holy Spirit to begin to lift the spirit of stupor and the hardness of their heart, he would begin to soften. Begin praying for that person. And, and since salvation comes by hearing, speak the gospel, even to the hardest of hearts. Uh, Paul taught earlier that faith comes by hearing. But no one is beyond God's salvation. That, that prisoner that I, that I spoke to in in prison, who said, you don't know what I've done. You know what? It doesn't matter. God can choose anyone for his own. No one is beyond saving. Now, now consider the implications of that truth, because this is a bit uncomfortable. 
That means that you and I may be living in eternity with some people that we don't care to associate with here on this earth, right? I'm, I'm told uh, there was a um, mass murderer many years ago, name was Ted Bundy. Some of you will recognize that name. I'm told that Ted Bundy accepted Jesus Christ before he was executed. Now, I don't know if that's true. Only God knows if that's true or not. But if it is true, that means that you and I will enjoy eternity with someone the likes of Ted Bundy. Are you okay with that? Because, because here's the truth. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Ted Bundy certainly didn't deserve it. But who am I to pick and choose who gets to go into eternity based on the fact that I like them or not? Isn't that arrogant? God gets to choose. God selects whom he wants to select for his own. So therefore, no one is beyond eternity. I like this. There's a story by a, a pastor named Tony Campolo. You may have heard of his name before. He tells a story about one, one day when he was in Hawaii. Uh, he couldn't sleep. It was, it was 2, 3 in the morning. He went downstairs to try to find a place he could sit. Found an old greasy back alley diner that was open 24 hours. Went in, got a donut and a cup of coffee. I was chatting with the owner for a little bit. And then uh, before long, some women came in. Six, seven women came in, boisterous, loud. By the way they were dressed, it was pretty obvious to Tony that these were women of ill repute. Um, and so they came in and were talking with one another. And it, was, and, and it was a small place. He couldn't help overhear their conversations, and they were loud. One of them said, hey, all, it's my birthday tomorrow. And, and they all cracked up about that and said, yeah, right, what do you want, a, a birthday cake? They, they started to, to, to tease this one of the women mercilessly about the fact that she had made it known that it was her birthday. She said, he's up. She said, I'm just saying, it's my birthday. I never had a birthday party before. Well, Campolo heard this, it registered with him, and he thought, I know what I'm going to do. So after, after they left, he went over and, and talked to the owner, and he said, hey, did, do those women come in here all the time? He said, oh, yeah. He said, they're in here every night. He said, that woman that said it's her birthday, is she in all the time? She said, oh, yeah, she, that's, that's Minerva, whatever her name was. She said, oh, yeah, she's here. She's, she's pretty nice to us, but, yeah, she's always here. She'll be here tomorrow. He said, I got an idea. He said, she said it was her birthday. He said, you know, I'm, I want to throw her a birthday party. The, the owner of the place is going, do you, know, do you know what those people do? Do you know who she is? He goes, yeah, yeah. He said, I, I just, she said she'd never have a birthday party before. I'm going to throw her a birthday party. And he goes, okay. She said, well, she's always been nice to us. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll make the cake. Uh, so the next day, Campolo goes out, buys decorations, comes back to the diner, you know, 1 a.m. in time to get ready, starts, decorates the diner, the, the owner's got the cake. The ladies, sure enough, come in like clockwork, 3 a.m., they, they, they roll in, they're having a good time, and they see all the, the birthday decorations, and, and happy birthday Minerva, whatever it was, up on the side of the wall. And, and she is absolutely dumbfounded. She is speechless. No one's ever thrown her a birthday party before, and this is, this is just overwhelming to her. She begins to tear up. They all sing happy birthday to her. They have a good time with it. And it's time to cut the cake. And, and, and it gets quiet as, as she you know, blows out the candles, going to cut the cake. And, she's, and she pauses and she says, she said, would you mind if I don't cut this right away? And he said, sure. Campola said, sure, whatever you want to do. She said, you know, as a matter of fact, she said, I'd like to take this home. See, so, they, so she leaves, takes, takes the cake back to her house. At that point, it's kind of an awkward moment as, as Tony with these, 
other women and the owners, I mean, they kind of don't have much to say, so pastors do what pastors do in awkward moments, and he says, let's pray, <laughs> right? So, so Campolo says a prayer, and, and uh, they, they end the evening together, and, and then the owner of the place comes up and says, I, I, didn't, know you were, I didn't know you were a preacher. Campolo said, yeah, that's, that's what I do for a living. And the owner says, well, what kind of church do you belong to? <laughs> Campolo says, I guess I belong to the church that throws a birthday party for a prostitute <laughs> at 3 a.m. That's what we're talking about here. That, that is God's grace. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. God chooses whom he wants for his own, which may mean some people that we don't like. But who am I to say to God, you can't choose that person because I don't like them? That is God's grace. And so, so the next point is this, which is to be humbled by the power of grace. Those, those that are closest to God are those who realize they didn't deserve what they got. Those who love God the most, Paul is even, actually Christ even taught this lesson, those who love God the most are those who realize how far and distant they were from God. God Jesus taught the story about a Pharisee invited him to dinner one day, uh, didn't give him water to wash his feet, didn't really you know, treat him as, as you would normally a guest. But during the time that Christ was over at the Pharisee named Simon's house, uh, a, a woman came into him, and, and this was a woman who had led, uh, was a woman of ill repute as well. And, and the woman came in, and it says that a woman in the town who lived a sinful life, this is from Luke 7, she learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house. She came in with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume in them. When the Pharisee who had invited them, Simon, saw what she was doing, she said, what, what a waste of money. She, she's broken that alabaster jar and anointed your feet with it. And, and then Christ begins to teach him a lesson, basically saying, hey, there's, he said, Simon, you know, there's two people that owe someone a debt. Well, one, po one person owes him 500 denarii and the other 50. If, if they're both forgiven for their debt, which one is more appreciative, right? If, if you and I owed a debt to someone and I owed, I owed him five bucks and you owed him 5,000 bucks, he, if he forgives our debt, which one's got to be most appreciative? You are. 5,000 bucks is a big deal. That's what Christ is saying. Look, it is those who have been forgiven much who realize that that have a greater love. He said, Simon, Simon said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, Simon the Pharisee, Jesus said, you've judged correctly. He turned to the woman. He said, do you see this woman? I came into your house, Simon, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And, and, and so there is the kind of the, the truth of that, that, that we, as we grow in God's grace, we began to realize really how far away from God we were and really how desperately we needed salvation from Jesus Christ, not from what we've done. It's not because we earned it. It's because we, God chose us. 
Final thing is this, and I'll let you go. Final thing is this. Uh, there, are, there are a couple of synagogues in Tyler. I know there are, there are, there are na- those who consider themselves national Jews walking amongst us. You may, you may have interactions with them. Uh, again, as we saw, it was God's plan to bring, to bring blessing to the world through Israel, and, and something did go desperately wrong, and that's tragic. And so these Jews who meet on a weekly basis and, and worship God uh, are still under this veil. Paul says, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. Talking about national Israel, their minds were made dull to this day, Paul says, and I would say to this day too, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. That, that is tragic. That there are those who have followed God, but not followed His Son, and so there is a veil over their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the, so the last thing is this, pray for Israel. Pray for the salvation of Israel that through Jesus Christ, those who are Israel could come to know their Messiah, that the veil would be lifted, and that they could experience this freedom. So I said that was the last thing. The the, the other last thing is this. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are uh, at this point feeling like, you know, I kind of get it. Maybe this, maybe this veil is being lifted for you. Maybe the spirit of stupor or hardness of your heart is being softened right now. I would invite you to respond. It's simply a matter of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's it. You just trust that His sacrifice is sufficient for you, and you'll be saved, and you'll join us, us Gentiles, and remnant Israel in the tree. C- climb on up. There's plenty of room. Come and join us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. It is not what we have done to deserve it. It is completely by your grace. And so I thank you for that. Help us to believe. Help us to pray for others who do not believe, who have the spirit of hardness. Help us to pray for Israel and remember to do that. Father, we thank you so much for your truth for your salvation, and for grafting us in as Gentiles. We thank you, and we can never earn it. We can never say thank you enough, but we thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.